Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Air Combat Sim Podcast. This is episode three, and today we are talking about Seital, which is the Squadron Air-to-Air League, and we have Moltar here to talk about it. Moltar does the uh, broadcasting and running of all of things Seital. And uh, so, hey Moltar, how's it going? It's going all right, man. I, I'm just happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, today we also have Goat. How's it going, Goat? Outstanding. We have Sport. Howdy, Sport here. And Tricker. Hey, what's up, guys? Tricker here. What do you guys? What do you guys been up to? I have. Uh, I've been dealing with. Uh, I think we've all been dealing with this two five six patch, for better or for worse. But personally, I've been dealing with uh, hardware reviews still, and uh, the flu, which is uh, I do not recommend to anybody. Um, so. Don't get the flu this year. How about how about you, Moltar? Uh, for me, it's the sickness has run its course through my household. Luckily, I haven't caught anything yet, but my son's been down repeatedly, so it's we've been dealing with that. The two point five point six patch, it's run some havoc on multiplayer servers. I mean, things like Blue Flag, One Hundred Fourth have all been down because of things that have happened. But um, I think we can touch on part of or parts of what have made that patch significant in the multiplayer role. A little bit later, but that's really what I've been doing. Saytel finals are coming up, but I've just been kind of sitting and hanging out until that happens in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. How about you, Tricker? What have you been up to? Hey, you just uh, downloading the patch, rolling back the patch, downloading the new hotfix, rolling back, and then downloading another hotfix. That's what <laughs> I've been. That's what I've been up to. So, did you roll back in the end, or are we still? No, I uh, so I rolled back and I updated to the latest hotfix because everybody decided or they figured out that the carrier was causing the issue for uh, the memory leak and stuff like that. As, as far as I know, that's still slightly an issue. There's certain scenarios where it causes problems or did, yeah, so if you have a, if you have a carrier and four clients in the multiplayer server, it causes a memory leak and it crashes. That seems to be the issue at the moment. I think what they're doing is they're just simulating the memory leak is like some type of weapon of mass destruction and you just simulate it as that's where the server ends because your world blew up <laughs> nice. how about you sport what have you been up to oh man well i'm just enjoying a day home for once uh been working i uh, had my annual recurrent and then uh just got back from vacation as well and uh in the meantime dealing with not having a usable joystick so gonna be turning to the community soon about trying to pick my next one Pick your what next? Your your next stick? Yeah, yeah. The, well, at least the next stick base. I want to you know get a, people's opinions on uh, you know what they've been using, um, and and sort of make my decision through that because uh, the customer support with the current one I have has been a little less than desirable. Well, good luck. Thanks. Yeah, because I want to enjoy the misery that uh, I'm sorry the um, joy everybody else has had with uh, two point five point six and and give it a shot once again. Yikes. <laughs> how about you goat what have you been up to well i've been checking out the i just received last week the uh new verbal mongoose t50 cm2 throttle so that's been uh pretty fantastic uh so just trying to uh map everything uh back into uh into the sim so it's been pretty cool been enjoying it very nice yeah before before we go on i gotta ask sorry where did goat get his name from it was given to me by uh, Jello. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it is not, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the ones that I did not pick. Yeah, yeah I think we had a few of those. What, what, what did it stand for? Do you remember? No. Uh, or it, I don't think, it is not greatest of, of all time. Uh, it was something. Yeah, it was I, quite I'm opposite blo- of that, I think. I, I think, I'm, and I'm blocking it because I was hurt. <laughs> you purposely <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> no. Nice. Yeah, sorry. I was just trying to figure out where Goat came from. I was hoping I could find it on the Fighter Pilot Podcast website, but apparently isn't, it's not. Isn't Goat Rob? It is me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it is, is Rob. Me. I was about to say. 
Yeah, and for everybody listening, Goat is Rob. Um, also, I think we called you Scooby prior because that was your name in Discord, and we didn't yep. think to actually call you Goat by your Yeah, I, I, yeah I figured uh, I was going to go ahead and uh, slim it down to just one name. So we're going to go with the Goat. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, today we're going to talk about Satal, as said prior, and... Uh, if we get to it and we have time, we can talk about other PvP-related things, uh, kind of all in that realm, and what Satal uh, represents anyway. So, Voltar, for, for the listeners, what is Satal, and where, where did it come from? Where, where did the idea come from? So, Satal is Squadron Air to Air League, which is exactly what it sounds. It pits different squadrons against one another in either 4v4 or 6v6 team deathmatches. Now, some people think it's Airquake, which it, it kind of is, in a sense, but it's more if anybody's played Counter Strike or familiar with games like that. Once you're dead in a round, you're dead. There's you don't get to respawn. So whoever's left at the end and is able to land back at base, their team is the winner. And you go best of three or best of five, depending on what the requirements are for that that particular setup. But that, in a nutshell, is what Satel is. Where it came from was years ago. There was a tournament run by the 504th and then the 51st called SATAC, Squadron Air-to-Air Championship. And that took place over a two- to three-week span. It pit squads against one another in the same style format. Um, but we decided in 20... I think it was 2017 was the last time that was run. We thought that, well, maybe this could be better or bigger. Maybe not better, but bigger. Because at that point, you were only getting eight to ten squadrons coming in, and it was always the same. And it only took took place over two to three weeks, and it didn't give squadrons really or pilot virtual pilots anything to better themselves or work themselves for. So you just jump on servers, multiplayer servers, and go up and kill people. Well, what we wanted to do was create an environment, i.e. Satel, that provided a year-round experience that gave squadrons and pilots things to work for. They had matches coming up that they needed to practice for instead of just getting on and being in a casual sense, which isn't bad. It's just, you know, one size shoe doesn't fit everybody and some people want a more competitive environment. So we wanted to give people a more year-round experience or events that they could they could work towards. So Satel starts in quarter one and then wraps up in quarter one the following year. So it's a year-long long engagement this year we had over 30 teams next year we're probably going to have over 40 um and we'll just have to have to see where it goes we're in the throes right now of the finals coming up of the Satel into the year year tournament and the finals take place on march 7th i think diamond league is taw versus 104 phoenix and then gold league which is 4v4 diamond league is 6v6 um gold league is going to be pan squadron versus taw you said diamond and gold what what Besides the 6v6 and 4v4, how did those two come about? Why, why, do, why do you have two leagues versus uh, just having one large, massive league? Where that came from was I didn't want to have newcomers to a competitive scene feel like they needed or were going to compete against, I'm going to say titans, but not really titans, but veterans of the competitive stage. So I didn't want people that are just getting into DCS and thinking about, hey, I want to come into competitive DCS and fly... In a, on a competitive level, feeling like they had to come up against squadrons that have been doing it for 10 or 15 years. So the idea was squadrons that have been doing it for a long time do it in Diamond. It's a bigger um, squad base, so it's 6v6. So you you have to put more pilots forward. Anybody's able to fly there, but it's, it's more for teams that have been doing it a long time and their squadrons are built around a competitive environment. Diamond is four, or sorry, gold is 4v4, and it 4v4 makes it more easily enterable for teams or squadrons or people that are thinking about getting into something like Satel. Other than that, there's really no difference. It's just the player numbers. Um, the prize pool this year is a little bit different. Um, Diamond's a bit bigger, but it's really just more enterable and more easily accessible going into gold. Now, the prize pool is something that you currently have sponsors jump in and provide prizes with, or is it something that uh, the community kind of gets together and puts puts things together? What how does how does the prize pool work? The prize pool is all done by by sponsors. So this year, our sponsors are Buddy Fox, Tacview, Fox Mount, Wild Weasel Apparel, Heat Blur, Eagle Dynamics, 
and Thrustmaster. So we've got round about $10,000 worth of prizes at stake. Thrustmaster came out with a bunch of hardware, Eagle Dynamics, ton of modules, Heepler modules, and a bit of money. Wild Weasel's apparel and sponsoring and helping run the channel or run all of the events. Fox Mounts has donated actual mounts. Um, Buddy Fox is doing their A10 UFCs, and TACFI's doing pro TACFI licenses. There's there's a ton of scratch at stake here. I mean, there's legitimate things are on the line instead of just the pride and egos of the pilots. If you win, um, I think Diamond first place is something like $4,000 worth of gear. So if you win, you stand to get things like TPR pedals or Hornet grips and stuff like that. So it's it's significant. There's no interability for the the actual league is free right now. You don't have to pay anything to join. Um, there's no teams aren't contributing anything. There's no donations into the prize pool right now. Any donations just go to making the stream better for equipment and stuff. But um, right now it's free to come in. So if anybody wants to join Saytel, you're more than welcome to. You don't have to fork up any money you just got to sign up that's awesome did you say ten thousand dollars something like that yeah worth of equipment and stuff it's it's legit this year it's rather large that's awesome i know we've talked to you uh in the past about Saytal, and it, it's great to see how much it's grown what sort of lessons have you learned um through your past seasons of this uh that you've started to apply to the current and future seasons of Saytal? um Probably the biggest one, and right now I'm actually reading Dan, I think it's Dan Hampton's Viper Pilot, so this kind of, he kind of talks about this. The biggest thing that I've learned and had to deal with is egos and drama. When you get into a competitive stage, especially with, I'm going to call it wannabe fighter pilots, but people are, they want to win, and I think that's a big, a big thought of real real fighter pilots they think they're the best which they should because they're going up and putting their them, themselves on the line their lives on the line that's the biggest thing is dealing with people's egos and the drama that comes along with that of people you know thinking they're entitled to things and forgetting that this is just a sim and that i'm just some guy in my my basement in my house putting this all together there's no professional organizations or something running this it's just one dude in the basement well isn't that the nature of competition though i mean everybody wants to be the best the reason why you're competing is to fight for the best um so i i can understand how uh ego and that competitive spirit can shine through in this absolutely and 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 how are you how are you reacting to that and how are you trying to manage that um a big thing that we've tried to do is just really mitigate the amount of input the teams have and how the competition is run. Because one thing we've run into is if you open up the doors for how things should be run, everybody thinks that they should have a say in how things are, are done. So it it's really just trying to put blinders on, not necessarily blinders, but just really put rails on things and just give people a streamlined experience and say, this is how things are, go for it. And I, I think that's really important. It allows people to check their egos. They don't have really ways to get involved in negative ways. And it, it just streamlines the whole process. It makes it easier for everybody. So really don't want people's egos writing checks their bodies can't cash. Right, right. Not to be naive about it, but what kind of drama do you see? Do we run into? Yeah. Um, the biggest one was a cheating scandal that broke out at the end of the year. Uh, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to call any, you know, drop team names or anything, but how Saytel is run, you're only supposed to fly for your specific squadron, right? You're only supposed to fly for that group. Now, there are rules in there that allow Gold League pilots, if you have two teams, like Taw has a team in Gold and they have a team in Diamond, the, you're allowed a certain number of rounds if you're on the Gold League team to be flown in diamond. So it's like varsity sports in high school. You're allowed to fl to participate in a cer certain number of minutes or halves on the varsity squadron or the varsity team if you're on the JV side. And we did that. But what was ending up happening is teams were having pilots fly for multiple other teams, even in the same division. So we had diamond league teams, pilots on those teams, flying for multiple teams inside of that same that same division and they were doing it well over the limit of 
grounds that were proposed in the rules. Um, we caught it by looking at player UIDs um, and checking them in the log files. And lo and behold, there were UIDs showing up on multiple teams in the same division. And that was, that was a big no-no. And so it, it came, that's kind of the long end or the high end of the egos where people really want to win and they're willing to, you know, cheat to win. But as far as other things, it's just, you know, minimalistic things of the, of just entitlement and thinking, uh, that rules don't apply to them or somebody was cheating and they weren't or weapon restrictions or thinking the, the competition should be run a certain way, so on and so forth. So really, none of it's a huge big of a deal, that big of a deal. It's just having to constantly deal with it that kind of gets exhausting. Gotcha. Thanks. When disputes inevitably come up, mm -hmm. uh, are are you kind of the say-all uh, overseer, so to speak? Or are you, do you have a team? Do you have, do you have a group of people? Is there like, uh, you know, a representative from every team? Like, how do, how do you handle those disputes? when they occur so originally it was me um well not originally originally when Saytal came out it was from 51st bisons ran it and i was kind of the at the tip of that pyramid running everything well things happened 51st broke up and then i took Saytal with me so earlier this year it was i was running everything on my own and i was the end all be all with all of this and i didn't really like that because it was a community event and I didn't like the idea of just me saying, you know, being a a dictator. I, di I didn't like that feeling. So I created a, a DCS World Events team of people from multiple squadrons that have say into things like rules and stuff. But how we mitigate and things of that nature with rulings or referee decisions and stuff like that, there's a referee channel in the Splashwind Gaming Discord that team leads have access to so every team lead has access to this referee channel and then we deal with disputes there and try and get a voting consensus on what should be done in certain scenarios and situations got it do you do you have to restrict anything as far as limitations go what airplanes what weapons uh to keep everything fair because you know you have some issues with uh, even in normal PvP on, on a server that doesn't restrict anything, you have certain missiles that are better than others. Um, you know, if the AIM-54 has a longer range than the, let's say, mm -hmm. AIM-120, uh, what, what do you, and there maybe another one plane turns better than another, are, are the people who are competing, are they allowed to just choose whatever they want? Are there certain planes? Are there certain weapons? How, how does that work? So, say town because it's a competition and all the other events like air combat, which is BFM and uh, what are they, am I running? the Cold War version of this, which is Fox Ones only. Um, they're all competitions. So PvP in and of itself doesn't necessitate or require balance per se. Um, but when you're doing something in a competitive basis, obviously you want things to be as balanced as possible because you don't want weapons or the computer to be falsely inflating somebody's ability or a team's ability in the environment. So what we've tried to do is remove as much as we can to an extent handicaps for players. And what that what that includes is things like the 120C, the AIM 9X, the AIM 54C and and the AIM 54 Mark 60. Um we've taken those out because we felt like they were too big of force multipliers. So any aircraft is allowed. You can take full fuel um you're restricted to six actives at this point, and the AIM-54s are restricted to two. And the reason they're restricted to two was up until this point, and this was a fact with all actives, and this is stuff that we have to contend with that maybe people don't think about um, because it may not affect them or they just don't realize that it's, it's actually happening in multiplayer, is that all active missiles have something that people refer to as magic INS, which means that the missile is able to track a specific target after launch from an aircraft without that target being illuminated by the shooting aircraft. And that, that's for active. So realistically, if a missile is launched from an aircraft and the launcher turns around, that missile should just have its old INS that it got on launch to be able to guide it to its intended target. Now, if the target moves, well, that missile may not end up where it needs to be. But if the target is constantly illuminated, well, the missile is going to constantly get updates until it goes pitbull 
and then it's its own radar and guidance takes over. Well, Magic INS, when the missile was launched, it would continue to guide even if the target wasn't being illuminated. That wasn't intended behavior, but it was happening. So because of that, it drastically and still does drastically affect the AIM-54 because the AIM-54 is launched from so far away and it climbs to, mar to like 60,000 feet. It was overpowered in that sense in an unintentional way. Not that the missile behaved, if it behaved intentionally, would be overpowered, but just because of this bug per se, it was overpowered. And because of that, we decided to limit it to two because we felt like if we had six, well, that may be a little a little too much and become too much of an imbalance. That and, and things this, like, go ahead. This And this is uh, something that the AIM-120 does as well, but you don't yeah. see it as much because you typically launch it from a much shorter range. Right, right. So you, usually you're launched from a close enough range where the missile, you know, if you're inside, say, eight miles, the missile's going to go pitbull anyway. So the, I, the magic INS doesn't matter. Well, in the latest patches in 2.5.6, that has been fixed. So that doesn't happen anymore. Now, the missiles still don't have proper guidance and stuff, but this is one of the big things with 2.5.6 that has drastically impacted both the PvP environments and competitive environments inside DCS. Then, ahead, if, if, I, sorry to interrupt, but mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, though, um, with these bugs and stuff like that, do you have an open dialogue with Eagle Dynamics to try to um, identify some of these bugs to make the... Uh, to, to, to make the competition more fair. Um, and if not, is there something they could do to help you with that? Uh, I, I, a lot of these bugs have existed for a long time. I think they've just kind of been low on their, their list. Lately, we've been seeing a lot of changes with the missiles behavior, with their flight models, their guidance, not necessarily their guidance yet, but it's, it's been pulled into the limelight, if you will. So we've been seeing a lot of changes. As far as working with Eagle Dynamics, not really. Um, we're still kind of a small entity and we don't, you know, I, I don't want to push Eagle Dynamics in any way. I mean, multiplayer in Eagle Dynamics' eyes, we're, we're small potatoes in comparison to the single player revenue stream. So it's, I don't really view it in the negative. It's, I talk to them every once in a while. They are aware with stuff, aware about stuff, and they do tell me that they're actively working on it. So we are patient and we just make the best of the environment that we have and what we can do in it. Would would they encourage you to just use a stable release over the beta? Yes. That has been talked about with with Matt Wags that we should be using the stable. Right now we're using open beta and one of the downfalls of it obviously is that sometimes open beta breaks. Uh, mitigations that we have for that though is if something does break in an open beta release, we just I tell teams don't update and they just fly an older version. So some good uh, discussion there, Multar. How about uh, airframes? Like, what are the most successful airframes that are in the Seital League, in your opinion? The best airframe, not just in Seital, but in PvP, and people are probably going to disagree with me on this, is the F-15 Eagle. No question. It's, it's still king of PvP and multiplayer. It's turn performance. It's engine performance. It's The biggest thing is vertical scan, its ability to instantly IFF, um, it's radar with how it works. It's just, it allows it to, it has a lot of things going for it that other aircraft don't granted. It doesn't have a, it doesn't have a helmet mounted side or anything, but if you get somebody that knows what they're doing in an F-15, they're nigh untouchable. Would you say that was more because it's an FC three, uh, aircraft versus a full fidelity and not all the, not all those systems are simulated accurately yeah i would say that now so when when full five first came out i was on the camp of you know there's not a whole lot of a difference and to be honest there's not in casual play you're not going to notice it and I, i'm not trying i don't want to come across as elitist or anything like that but in casual play i don't know that you're going to notice it but when you start getting into competitive stuff where the little things matter and you start looking at things like the f-15s rwr the f-15s rwr is so accurate and it updates so readily you can use it as a pseudo data link you know within a mile where a guy is now it doesn't show its altitude but you know exactly where that guy is and it updates quick enough i think it updates just as fast if not faster than the flankers the flankers actual data link 
Um, and you couple that with things like the instant IFF that it has. And if you compare that to like the F-18 or the F-16's IFF, where it takes several seconds and sometimes you don't even get an IFF return from a target. And with an F-15 or a Su-27, you get instantaneous IFF. You don't even have to do anything. And then the last thing is its vertical scan that it has is ridiculous. You can turn, that thing will pick it up and you just push off an AMRAM and then you can immediately go into a notch. So it, it's just little things like that, that when you get into a competitive environment and you have some of the best pilots in the world in that environment, not necessarily the best pilots in the world in DCS in general, but just in competitive play with those tools, you definitely see where it's a step above really everything else. And if you look back through tracks and tack views of Seital, there's a reason why the F-15 is the prime, the predominant aircraft in in every real matchup or most matchups. That's yeah, really interesting. You say all that stuff. Um, how about the? Let's just like do a little futuristic stuff here. So like mm-hmm. the Rasbam F-15 is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that in Seital? And then do you have a review process? Like do you like? talk about like different airplanes that are coming new to DCS and if it's going to be in Seital or stuff like that. Every aircraft is allowed in Seital with the exception right now of the JF-17 and that that was taken out predominantly because of its SD-10, the missile that it had. When it first came out, it had some problems and it was broken, I guess. I don't know how else to say that. I won't say broken. It was performing in what we thought was a unrealistic way. And because the ST-10 was the only missile that the Jeff fired, we didn't... I mean, it's really not applicable or in a good place to be allowed in Seita. It'll be allowed next year. But for this season, since it came out late, we decided not to allow it. But for things like the F-15E, it's really hard to make those determinations until the actual plane comes out. Now, something I will say is that next year there's going to be a change where Diamond League is going to be full fidelity only. We're going to remove, well, it may not be full fidelity only. The Su-27 may be allowed, but at the very least, the F-15 is going to be banned. Banned, excuse me. No, it's really interesting. Um, what would make, in your opinion, uh, what would make uh, a module full fidelity, though? Full fidelity would be things like the F-18 or the F-16 or the JF-17, things that are fully modeled with all the switches with you know better radar modeling, better RWR and system, mo- system modeling. Really, it's just things that are continually actively being developed. If the FC-3 aircraft were still being worked on and they were being updated, and if they got updated to the point where their systems were working like the full five modules are, I don't think there'd be any problem with them being in diamond league but as it stands and as the consensus is with the diamond league teams we want to see who the best of the best is in that particular league and we feel like showcasing pilots that are the best of the best in full five modules are the best is the best way to do of it because of the increased workload there's less handicaps it's just a better showcase of the pilot skill and the team and squadron skill levels I could see that. And now why would the SU-27 make the cut to stay and not the F-15? I mean, I understand what you were talking about with the F-15's dominance, but um, why not a blanket no uh, FC-3 aircraft, you know, sort of rule set? It's definitely on the table. I'll say that. We just haven't made a determination yet. The problem is, is that there's no replacement for the Su-27 yet. I can't say... If you look at the F the F fifteen, it's a lot easier to jump from an F fifteen to an F eighteen or an F fifteen to an F sixteen. Not saying that it's impossible to jump from a Su twenty seven to an F sixteen, because that's exactly what I did, and I love the F sixteen. There's no going back to the Su twenty seven. But for a, there's a lot of squadrons. They're not a lot, but there's a few squadrons that fly flankers only. All the entire squadron flies. So to eliminate an aircraft like that it, with no replacement. I don't know how yeah. I feel about it yet. And the, the Su-27, given it the missiles that it carries, its RWR isn't quite as overbearing. Um, granted, it is better in single target track situations. It's just not quite to the level of the F-15. Another reason is, is that next year, there's probably not going to be any AWACS or EWRs. So 
the Su-27 is not even going to have data link. Um, gotcha. And the F-15 with its RWR and it being a pseudo data link in my eyes, uh, it's there's there's gray area in all honesty, and we just haven't made an overall determination yet. So my last follow-up with that is how have you how have you handled um, rebalancing everything as updates come out? Um, particularly, uh, you know, the, the F-18 and the F-16 have been getting updates fairly mm-hmm. regularly and increases in their capabilities. Um, and I guess it's a two-part question. The first is how do you, how do you manage rebalancing uh, in order to account for that? And also, you know, with missile upgrades, the, you know, the, the AMRAM's getting the buff they got recently. Um, and then how, from a competitive standpoint, um, where the rules are kind of changing throughout the, the the season, you know, because you have to rebalance it. Have you considered just say, Hey, look, we're only going to fly this season on this patch. So these are the, these are the, lim- the limitations the aircraft have. We're not updating this. You know, it's like, so the rules are fixed from the beginning to the end, as opposed to having to constantly rebalance. We we've thought about that. My issue with that is, is that people want to fly with the latest and greatest toys. So it's, it's really difficult to tell somebody that they're not allowed to use something. I don't, that goes back to me not wanting to be a dictator. So I, I don't really want to have to tell people, no, nah, you can't fly this. Now, there are things like the JF 17 when it came out, we're not going to allow it because it didn't fit that particular, it didn't, it wasn't balanced well enough. Like it, it had some issues and we didn't feel like it fit well into the competitive mold of Satel. So we just said, you can't fly it we go that far and we'll just say you're not allowed to use certain weapons or aircraft given their limitations. So you're, when you talk about things like full fi with the F 18 and the F 16, getting more systems, I think that's perfectly fine. And they haven't, we haven't done any rule balancing around that because when they first came out, the F 15, sorry, the F 18 and the F 16 were at such a disadvantage in comparison to everything else because of their limitations and systems. Um, Nobody really flew them. And it's actually a breath, breath of fle- fresh air to see more people flying those particular modules. It's always nice to see more of a diverse group of aircraft taking, pla- taking place and being used in a match than just everybody flying F-15s or everybody flying Su-27s or something of the like. So as the year unfolds, if we do need to make changes, we definitely do make those changes like with the the SD10 but for the most part things aren't really as game breaking as you think they would be we really don't have to make a whole lot of balance changes we actually embrace new things coming into the sim that people can utilize in the the competitive environment because we want Saytal to be or have as many real life tools as you can have obviously tactics and stuff that are used in Saytal are way far away than what are used in real life um but it's always nice to be able to use equipment that we see see the real flyboys utilizing in in the real shows. I just wanted to come back to the success rating of the aircraft. So you said the F-15 was, in your opinion, the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of like a two-part question. So it'll be quick. Um, if it's six on six, so let's say six F-15s versus six tw- uh, Su-27s, which do you think would win? And then the second part of that question is to uh, explain to the users. Sometimes I see like some teams having five F-15s and one SU-27. Can you explain why they do that? Why do I think the F-15 is the most predominant if we use in a circumstance like the F-15 versus Su-27? Really, it's just its capabilities. If, if you... The RWR, like we talked about earlier, the vertical scan is a massive advantage. Um, but one I di- thing I didn't touch about with the f F-15's flight model is its ability to produce massive amounts of instantaneous G. The ability to go into a notch and for those of you, that, for anybody listening that doesn't know what a notch is, if you get into a notch you're effectively confusing the missile and making your aircraft become one with the background. There's more technical ways to explain that but it's you're effectively disappearing from the radar and you're getting pulled into ground returns and it has to do with the Doppler effect. But if you guys might saying that correctly. Yeah, I think the easier way to say it is that the radar sees things going away and coming towards it and you would effectively fly perpendicular to the radar and that would make you invisible to it. Yeah, Yeah. 
that's a good way to say it. So the F-15, with its ability to pull massive amounts of instantaneous G, can shoot, pull huge amounts of G, get into a notch. You're going to have to either defend that missile or continue on and barrel roll it maybe. But let's say he doesn't shoot and you're just coming in hot on him. And let's say you're coming in from high altitude. Well, he's able to use that massive amount of instantaneous G again, pull out of the notch, use vertical scan, pick you up, fire a missile, and then go right back into the notch. And the F-15's flight model is such that he's able to do that ridiculously fast without really bleeding or utilizing too much energy. And if you get that with really good pilots, and on top of that, the 120B is a better missile than the R-77, and the fact that it's an active and doesn't have a smoke trail, in my opinion, makes it better than the ER. And the ET that the C-27 carries, people think it's a god missile, but in reality, especially if you watch Satel, guys are just popping a flare every once in a while. Um, and the ET is going to go for those flares every time. So Yeah, I think that people think it's a God missile because they never see it coming. And yeah. that's the scenario you want to shoot it in. But yeah. if you see it coming and you literally just turn and yeah, pop a flare and that, that thing goes for flares like nobody's business. Yeah. And when you get to, when you get to a point in Satel, guys are flaring even when they don't see threats just in case they didn't see a missile launch. So all of those things combined in an F-15 make it, with a good pilot, nigh unsurmountable. Now, on your second question, Tricker, you asked, why do some teams take a single flanker? Well, that could be either one, that's what the pilot wanted to take, or two, sometimes they use it as a pseudo-AWACS in the actual action area, where teams are able to utilize it as a more active and updating AWACS because the F-15 doesn't have data link. So they'll just utilize that single Su-27 maybe in a in a role flying at the back of the formation to update the F-15s on where enemies are and where the where So the he's more of a forward air controller, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah. Cool, thanks for answering. That's not that. always the case, but we've I think that's what teams sometimes do. Cool, thanks, man. Now, what do you find is... Uh most common between let's say the top tier teams so like the teams that made let's say the finals um on both gold and diamond league what do you see in common with these teams what what is it is it airframe choice is it tactics is it uh communication what what typically do you find makes a team really good uh, at that level the biggest thing in my opinion that makes a team really good is hours and time flying together I'll use the example of Yaga and I. So Yaga is typically my number two, and I haven't been flying lately, but when we fly together, usually we're nobody can touch us. And that's mainly because of just how we work together. We understand and can do things without talking to one another. You just get to get an idea. It's like with any sport. If you fly or not fly, if you participate and do things with the same group of people all the time, you have this ability of communicating things without saying things or just knowing what those people are going to do. So it's that in and of itself provides a huge advantage. So when you look at teams like, I'm going to use the Diamond League as an example here. When you look at teams in the finals, 104th and Taw, both of those teams, the guys that are flying, have hundreds, of, if not thousands of hours flying with one another. So their communication is top-notch, at least for DCS. They have an ability to know what their teammates and squadron mates are going to be able to do. And they have the ability and experience to overcome really crappy situations that they may get themselves into. So I guess that sums it all up in a better, the end there is experience. When you get is people it, like, go ahead. Is it more, uh, it's, it's not so much knowing what your teammates are going to do, but more an expectation. Like in this, is situationally, we've encountered this scenario before and mm -hmm. I know that if we do this and my buddy does this, we typically win. And that, that kind of flows between each other, you know, yeah. Oh, this is this kind of situation. And it's it, in, in my eyes, it's not so much, uh, you know what the other guy's going to do, but you expect, you know, you know what to expect from your yeah. teammate. That's versus, a good way to put it. Yeah. And it's, it's not just an expectation. I think too, it's, it's the confidence to know that your teammate's going to do it correctly and is going to get the job done. Because if I do something in a competitive environment and I'm putting my ass on the line, like you said, I expect my wingman to have my back there. 
And if I'm confident that he's going to be able to do that, I'm going to be able to focus on whatever I'm trying to do at hand. And the teams that are able to do that, I think, have a huge advantage going into these fights. And that's what sets teams like 104th and Taw, and I'm using them as examples because they're in the Diamond League final, apart from a lot from a lot of other, you know, maybe people or other squadrons right now. And I think other squadrons will get that ability as they fly longer, but Taw and 104th have been doing this for years. Yeah, some good discussion there. Um, how many teams are in each of the league, Multar? Diamond League has I think Diamond League had 10, maybe 11. And then Gold League had something like 20. So there were like 30 teams total. And I expect the number to probably increase to something like 40 next year. So is there any prerequisites to like someone just joining Diamond League right away? Nope. There's no prerequisites. Diamond League's open to anybody. You just have to go in and be able to put out six pilots for every round. And it is a commitment because the, the league lasts the entire year. So there's we don't like people not showing up. This is It's a commitment because if you don't show up, the guys that are on the other team are showing up and they don't have anybody to fly with or fly against. And that's at the heart of Saytel. It's really forget the prizes, forget the tournament, forget anything. It's about teams just flying against each other. And if you don't show up, you're not giving your adversary pleasure of flying against somebody so it's it's really just the the prerequisite is having the commitment to make all your match times that'd Other be like that, the cowboys not showing up to one of their games oh man yeah unfortunately and it has happened this year not in diamond league but it has happened in gold league but that's that's mainly because teams are new you know i understand that real life comes first and they're we're making changes for next year to make it easier on teams but that's that's really the only commitment for gold or diamond league now if you flew in diamond league in 2018, you were not allowed to fly in Gold League. And we did that because we didn't want the real veterans of competitive play going into Gold League and just mopping the floor with anybody that was new. Um, I'm just curious, do you ever change the map? And if so, do you ever change like a mission, like t- uh, time of day, weather? We did time. We did. Well, we didn't do time of day. We did weather for a while, but we ran into problems where the weather isn't necessarily very well simulated in dcs cloud cover does some weird things um ir missiles really don't do anything for clouds or they don't go for they're not affected by clouds so what ends up happening is you get a a lock using earth in a su-27 you fire an et through the cloud deck and the other guy has no idea it's coming and can't see it and just gets smashed in the face by a missile he had no idea was coming because you can't see it through the cloud deck if you've got solid clouds so we did that last year this year there's no weather but there are multiple mission locations. So we've been using Caucasus and the Persian Gulf. And I think our total mission locations are like 10. So we flip back and forth. I roll a dice and every mission location has a number. And it's airfield versus airfield and the AO is in the middle. So airfield versus airfield is just where the teams take off from and where they have to RTB to. But we try and provide variability because I don't want teams to just have to fly on the same map. So you look at it like different maps in a first person shooter or something that's what we're trying to do bubble sizes vary locations vary terrains vary sometimes you're over mountains sometimes you're over water sometimes it's flat terrain and it forces teams to be more well-rounded and versatile in environments like you would expect them to be in real life you said bubble size what's bubble size mean so bubble size has to we're going back to the rules here the bubble is like a circle around bullseye or the center of the engagement area and what that is there for is once you enter the bubble you are forced to stay there if you leave you're not allowed to re-enter reason we did that is we didn't want teams or combatants to be flying all over a 300 square mile map and nobody can find each other the bubble is there to force people to engage to force people to come at each other it's like Having a smaller map size, I'm using first-person shooters again, but having a smaller map size in a first-person shooter to force people to to come at each other. So it's like, uh, you know, Battle Royale bubble getting smaller and smaller only years doesn't change. It just it doesn't change at no. the beginning. Yep. We want people to have enough room to go and hide if they need to. We want the bubble to be large enough for real life or simulated tactics. So I do have a, a, a question. Um, you, you were mentioning all the different teams, and obviously you have all your different teams and all your different um, levels. Do you have any favorites you like to watch 
Um, I'm not saying favorites as in like, you know, who you want to win and stuff like that. But do you have any teams that you particularly enjoy watching and what makes one team more enjoyable to watch than another? I don't really have a favorite team. I enjoy watching gold league more than diamond league specifically because diamond league, the guys have been flying competitive play a little bit longer. They're able to deal with the jitters. They're able to deal with the butterflies and stuff in their stomachs a bit more. They don't necessarily forget everything that they've accomplished or learned in their virtual flying careers. Whereas in gold league, a lot of the teams haven't been flying as long So the, the butterflies and stuff get to them a little more. And that's, that's nothing. I'm not, I don't mean to come across as, you know, talking bad about teams. It's, this is, I, this is my assumption. I think this is what leads to it. So the, the fights usually end up more as brawls and you end up in close in environments. You end up with IR missiles being shot. Guns are a lot more common. Teams and pilots are right on top of each other. The matches end up taking, they go a lot faster because the action is so compact. Whereas in Diamond League, everything, a lot of the pilots and squadrons are much more reserved and they're more disciplined. So they don't have a tendency to just dive into fights. There's a lot more flying in, turning around, flying in, turning around, and not even shooting. So some of the Diamond League fights, just one flight could take an hour and a half to two hours. Whereas, you know, in Gold League, you'll have a match that'll, once the guys get into the AO and they're in visual range or weapons parameters the round will take two minutes so it's not that a two-minute round doesn't happen in diamond league but the gold league matches are typically just a lot more what's the word i'm looking for you don't know what's going to happen yeah i i always equate that to uh watching ufc i'm i'm a big fan of ufc and uh i always love it when people get really mad when it goes to the ground and people, oh, I want him to stand up and punch and brawl. I, I equate it to exactly that. It's it's fun for people who understand the ground game, but people who don't understand the tactics and don't understand, uh, you know, reserving you f- your fuel and making good choices and and decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what Diamond League is to me. And then and then the Gold League is like the just go in and brawl and it's a full stand up match. Who's going to get knocked out first? That, that's how I always equated in my head. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's nothing against the squadrons and the pilots, and there are really good squadrons and pilots in Gold League. And I think a lot of them, if they haven't already, are getting to that point in discipline. I mean, if you lot, watch a lot of the... You've watched a lot of matches and stuff, there is an ex, there's a trend of how much better teams get throughout a season. It is amazing to watch. Not, not even just the Gold League teams, the Diamond League teams. I mean, starting this the streaming and stuff that I've done three years ago and getting to this point it is amazing absolutely incredible to see how much better both pilots have gotten and squadrons have gotten not just in in Satel, but in normal pvp play and multiplayer um it's it's amazing to see how everything has evolved and changed over the years so off the top of your head is there any moments that come to mind like um like some action packed or something that made you go, wow, like that was amazing. Like anything like off the top of your head, like just something incredible happened in a match that uh, maybe users can go back and watch or something like that. Let me see if I can remember who, who this was with. So there was a match at the beginning of the year. It was Gold League Paddle Pushers versus OCG. And OCG is an Australian team. They had to drop out of the league for unknown reasons. They had to drop, excuse me, they had to drop out. But there was a guy, Epic Ninja Cheese, in two of the rounds, ended up going something like 1v3 and like 1v4 in both rounds, and ended up killing everybody. And it was a close-in engagement, sneaking around. It wasn't like they were far apart. Everybody was on top of each other. He was having to defend missiles. He was having to disappear reappear and take people out and it was just an incredible incredible match and there's probably it's i think it's on youtube on the dcs world events channel and there's if you go into the Satal channel in uh the splash one gaming discord there's a repository for all of the tack views the tack view is going to be in that repository i remember just losing losing it listening to him or watching him do all of that stuff and being able to come out 
and take awesome. the match. They ended up coming out. Um, you remember? Do you remember what kind of plane he was in? Um, he may he, have been in an F eighteen. I, I want to say it was an F eighteen or an F fifteen. I I remember uh, editing the recap video for that and and watching you get hysterical. It was pretty. It was pretty funny. I, I was screaming into my mic. I haven't seen it, so I, I definitely want to watch it. So make sure you link that for everybody. Yeah, we'll try to uh, include that one in uh, the show notes for sure. Uh, so let's talk about um, some of the tactics that you see in mm-hmm. Satel. You know, yep. In the in the real world, obviously, a lot of tactics are you know uh, classified and and uh, you know, but some there's some stuff that that isn't. And uh, how do you see Satel tactics versus real world tactics? And how do you see some of like the the meta gaming that goes on in just mm-hmm. video games in general? Unfortunately, DCS is one of there's certain tactics that have come from being able to meta, you know, dig into the meta of the game and, and kind of, oh, sure. uh, you know, build upon that. And, and I've seen that on PvP servers. I've used them. Everybody's used them. Um, how, do you, how do the tactics, because, because of that, how do the tactics differ from real world tactics that you would see? The biggest two things that influence that, uh, this is the big thing that we have that the real flyboys don't. One, we can die repeatedly over and over and over and over again and we learn from dying the real guys you die you're dead you don't respawn you don't come back you hit a you get hit by a missile you're probably gonna die well in in dcs or bms or whatever sim if you get hit by a missile you learn you can go watch the tack view see what you did wrong and then then adjust from it the other thing that we because of not the other thing because of that you learn to ride the line you're walking the tightrope. You're able to notch every single time. Whereas if you are a real fighter pilot, you're probably just going to turn your ass around. You're not going to put yourself into that situation. You're not going to try and barrel roll an incoming active while dropping flares and shooting back at the other guy. You're not going to be doing that. You're not going to be staying at 40,000 feet when there may be some guys lurking really low in altitude that you're just going to get smashed by a missile that you didn't see coming. You're not going to be... um relying on your RWR, your data link, because they don't have the 100% accuracy rate like they do in the sim. So in the sim, we have tools and toys that we think the real guys have, but ours are much more reliable. Yeah, we don't have things by like electronic jamming and we can't do electronic warfare and we think our missiles may not be as effective, but whatever. Um, those things allow flight simmers to like you said metagame the environment and you end up figuring out how to barrel roll missiles you end up figuring out how to defeat and run missiles into the ground you end up figuring out how to notch really 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 well all of these things allow you to game the system if if you would so things that you know tactics yeah a lot of the things that we do in say tell are based on real world tactics or a lot of the things squadrons do but that's all they are. They're just based on them. When you get into the fight, there's things that happen in, in DCS, in multiplayer, that would never happen in real life because of the things that we're able to do. And there's reactions in real life that aren't going to be had in DCS because people in DCS are much, much, much more aggressive than their real-life counterparts. Well, I, I I have a just a question about. And I've noticed that you've done a there've been a couple episodes or uh, with Mover, I think, for a charity mm-hmm. event. How is it working uh, with him and other pilots? So you bring up Mover, that was awesome. I really enjoyed talking to Mover, and I learned a lot about him. And you bring up a good point that BFM is actually, I think, more like the real world because there's there's not much. And I'm I'm speaking from inexperience. I, I've never flown a real plane. I don't know. This is just from doing the the things with Mover and listening to what he had to say that wasn't classified. Um, it seemed like the things that they did in real life worked in the sim, and the things that worked in the sim were things that worked in real life. So it was it was really eye opening, and I learned a lot. And it was it was a fantastic experience. But I just want to reiterate that people need to remember, and Mover even said this himself that the sim environment is not the real world environment and people think that you know you're a great simmer that you could go out and kick a real fighter pilot's ass in the real world i don't ever think that would happen 
Got it. No, I was I I saw part of it, and I thought it was very interesting to see how he was trying to you know behind the scenes was saying do this, do this. So you're a little bit you know. So he was doing the play by play, which was really cool, uh, and really I think took it to a level really kind of as that esport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. That was uh, it was really really enjoyable to work with Mover on that whole experience. So uh, I'll just up front, how did you get started doing this? And uh, you know, what is, what is your origin story of getting involved in this? With Saytel or with? With Saytel and, and with Sims. Um, so originally my origin story isn't very exciting with Sims. I came from Arma. When did I start? Probably five years ago. Um, that's when I met Jabbers. A little bit after that so jabbers and i have known each other for a while so i came came from arma joined rve flame really got me started with everything flames an old an oldie in the dcs since flight combat flight sim community and then in there i was in reservoirs elite who's still a squadron now competing in Saytel. and then i just went i just went from there dcs is the only flight sim i've ever really played i played some older stuff a long time ago but as far as really getting into stuff dcs has been it um for Saytal, that came from me just competing in Saytac and streaming Saytac because i streamed before just me flying and i thought hey this would be fun just to do some play-by-play stuff and that's really where it came from it was just nobody was doing it and i'm the type of person that i'm just just not going to talk a game i'm going to go do it mm-hmm. and i said i'd do it so i went and did it and then it just kind of kind of grew i enjoy doing it real life has hit me pretty hard this holiday season so i the tournament hasn't been streamed very well by me we've missed a lot of matches but uh it's just really been me deciding i wanted to do it going for it cool cool and and then and then how much time do you actually spend a week for example Mm, at the beginning it was a lot because i had to create the website, the splash1gaming.com slash Saytal stuff. I had to um, do all the scoreboards and stat tracking and all of that stuff, create all of the things in the graphics and things for the stream, do all of the sponsorship stuff. Initially, it was it was a lot of time. Now, it's significantly less. It's usually outside of the actual stream, a couple hours a week. So not too bad. It it depends on how far I want to take it. The beginnings of the seasons are usually a lot worse, and then everything starts going. Next year, I'm probably going to be streaming during the week hmm. instead of on the weekends. I think it, it makes it more accessible for me. People are able to watch the VODs and stuff of the broadcasts. I'm able to stream since we're doing more competitions more often. So we're, just, we're probably going to go that route. The weekend's take a toll on my wife and my family. So we're just, I'm just trying to find find ways to make it more accessible for both myself and for everybody else. But really, it's just been me doing it, deciding I wanted to do it, and being lucky enough that I have the time to be able to put forward and make it happen. So I guess that goes into what's coming up next. You know, what's, uh, where do you see Saytel going over the next few seasons? Um, uh, with, with, do you want more teams? Do you want more leagues? Are you going to get more, better sponsorships, adjust the sponsorships? Where, wh- what is your sort of uh, you know, short to midterm outlook for it? So we'll start with sponsorships and stuff. The sponsorships, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And that, that's really just because they're a lot of work. Um, I enjoy the sponsorships. I like what they give to the people that are participating. But what I've come to learn throughout this whole experience is that a lot of people say they're going to commit to something and then don't typically follow through. And I understand that that's a lot of that has to do with people just not having time. And I think it's a, they think it's a great idea. And then they realize that this is a lot more time than I thought it was going to be a bigger time commitment. And then they, they don't follow through. So I have to be more realistic with managing my time and my family and, and all of that stuff. So it's, I don't know what's going to happen with the sponsorship stuff. Um, I think a lot of people fly Saytel for the experience and not necessarily the prizes. There'll always be some prizes. I just don't know where it's going to be yet. We're debating on whether there should be an entrance fee that we can do for 
for prizes. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen on that, on that realm. But as far as other events and stuff, you've got an event called Air Combat, which is a BFM league that just finished up registration that should be launching next month. There's another one, an 80s event called Cold War, which is going to be a all airframe Fox One environment. So there's going to be no actives in that particular competition. Seitao will be back next year in really its same form outside of Datalink and EWRs not being in existence and Diamond League having some limitation on FC3 aircraft. And then there's another event that I'm still trying to figure out called Domination, which is going to be more of a King of the Hill style event where you actually have to hold a location instead of just killing the other team. So it's going to be more strategic um, and stuff in that sense. Sounds awesome. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. And more, and more work. <laughs> Lots of work, yes. But the foundation's there, so launching events and stuff isn't that big big a deal. The biggest time sinks are getting teams and pilots and stuff added to the website, tracking stats, um, and then streaming, of course. I don't know what I'm going to do about YouTube content, because honestly, I hate doing it. I'd much it, rather do live streaming. Um, the live streaming, I really enjoy doing. But live streaming and then having to go back and do a VOD and cutting everything up is just, that's a ton of time. And it, I did just the VODs. That'd probably be a lot easier. But after I live stream an event, the last thing I want to do is go back and do it again. I hear you. Uh, do you have, uh, or ha have you, or do you have members of the community who've reached out to help or, um, you know, volunteer to do certain things like editing the videos or, um, you know, doing a broadcast here and there when you can't do it, uh, things of that nature? Yeah, to an extent. Again, that goes back to the, that people just don't realize how much of a time commitment it is. And I'm just fortunate enough that I have the time to be able to commit to it. So people have, their eyes are bigger than their, their stomachs. So they have a lot of times grand ambitions of what they think can be accomplished. And then they realize, man, this is going to take a little more time than I thought it was going to. So I'm always totally open for people reaching out to help. The, the key there, though, is commitment to making sure that it's, happens consistently and people forget that it's not just one time Seitao happens every week air combat happens every week cold war happens every week so it's it's you got to remember that you're not just doing this once every six months it's every week multiple times and that's what i think people forget we all we uh we thank you for that and I, I know that's a lot of work and i've helped a bit in the beginning and uh, my time kind of got away from me and I couldn't commit to it either. So I, I totally understand both sides of it um, myself. And uh, yeah, well, I think, uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up here unless anybody else has anything uh, to say. But I want to thank you, Multar, for coming on. And uh, why don't you tell everybody where uh, they can watch Satal and various other events that you're going to be doing and uh, where they can catch odds or YouTube or where, wherever, wherever they can find more information about it. Of course. And Jabbers and the rest of the team, Goat, Sport, Tricker, thanks for thanks so much for having me on here. But as far as where you guys can see the content and check out the live streams, we stream on Twitch at DCS World Events. So if you guys want to check out the live streams, the final is going to be March 7th. Gold League is at 1400 Zulu. Diamond League is at 1700 Zulu. For anybody that's not familiar with Zulu Time, just check out ZuluTime.net. If you guys want to see VODs or anything like that recorded, you can check out both the Twitch channel at DCS World Events or our YouTube channel, DCS World Events. So we're pretty easy to find. Um, you can also go to the tournament section on the ED forums if you want to check that stuff out. If you all guys also want to check out any of the standing stats or upcoming matches, you can go to splashonegaming.com slash Satel. And that's both the website for the Splash One Gaming Discord and for all competitive events going on inside DCS. The Splash One Gaming Discord is on splashonegaming.com if you need a link to it yep. uh, as well. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sport, Tricker, Goat, Multar. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. We'll, we'll try to include all of this information in the show notes as well for you guys uh, listening. And uh, if you have any questions, remember, join our Discord. Uh, hit us up on Facebook. Those will also be in the notes as well. And uh, thanks again.
See ya. Bye. Thanks again, guys. Much appreciated for having me on. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it. You have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite? Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BVR Productions. Awesome. Oh, All right. Man. Do we have everybody here? I think that was everybody. Dut's not making it. Red Kite's not making it. BD's not making it. <clears throat> uh, is that everybody? Chuck said he can't make it. Yeah. So we have everybody here. He looks hey, like everyone. He's Mike's here from Eagle Dynamic. Sorry. And I think my follow-up to that um, then would be um, if it just fell out of my head. Oh, man. All right, uh, continue. Sorry about that. <laughs> we just okay. killed a vibe. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, I had something with that, and I was like, oh, hey, good. You've been doing that all day. See? We knew it would, we knew it would find it in here. It's I know. <laughs>